as you know, we are in week five of the, of the book of Ruth, and I'm preaching on chapter three. And it's like, it's, the, it's what I call the happy chapter in this narrative. It's super exciting. It's super adventurous, if you know the story. We're going to see a love story brewing. We're going to see, uh, it's complete with a, a wise old matchmaker. Uh, there's a young immigrant named Ruth. There's a bit of a glam session or a glow up, whatever you call these days. Uh, there's a middle of the night adventure. There's an older man, and actually I've got one of those. <laughs> yeah! Woo! No, seven and a half, like come on! Yeah. <laughs> um, and fun fact, we had a matchmaker too. We met on match.com. Yeah, okay. Um, but as this chapter wraps up, there's even a marriage proposal before the two people ever go on their first date. So basically what we're looking at here is reality TV show gold, yes. right? Uh, and just like those reality TV shows raise some eyebrows, what we're going to be reading today in chapter three will likely raise some questions, which is good because God wants us to wrestle with scripture. He wants us to study word usage. He wants us to study the cultural meanings of things. He wants us to wrestle with scripture. And this chapter of Ruth sort of begs for this good wrestle. And actually, I'm going to say it requires a good wrestle with scripture, because unless you're trained to read this book from a Jewish perspective, inevitably you're going to read this chapter with your 21st century Western American glasses, and you're going to walk away from this particular chapter saying, wait a second. Now, does Ruth and Boaz have sex? <laughs> Context matters. Translations matter. And so for today, I'm going to be using the NET translation, and I think it does a pretty good job to sort of clear up any confusion. So if you're using a different translation, you're definitely going to see some different uh, phrases come up. But all that to say, um, I actually would like to start this sermon off the way my husband likes to start every discussion that we have had on the book of Ruth so far. We've had life group discussions about four weeks worth now, and we talk at home. And I love what he says because it frames your thinking, and it has been set up here already. But I want us to just sit with this for a moment, that this book that we are reading about is the story of Jesus' great-grandmother. Times 34. I think in Luke's genealogy, it's number 34. But as my husband says, this is the work of the Holy Spirit bragging about Jesus' grandparents. And what's even more beautiful to think about is the timeless nature of God. That before Jesus walked the earth as a man, he saw Ruth as she clung to Naomi as they walked from Moab to Jerusalem. He saw her as she walked the corners of Boaz's fields collecting the grain. He saw her as she mourned her husband's death. And he saw her as she became the strong one for Naomi, working the fields to provide for them, providing that companionship and partnership. Isn't this a beautiful picture? I found online. Jesus was observing everything that they had gone through, and he knew everything about their current struggles. Before they ever knew Jesus, Jesus knew them. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and my, this is the verse that my husband brings up, so I know it's hitting him, but in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus has been there since the beginning of all things. He was at the birth of each one of his grandmothers. And there are five women in scripture named in his genealogy from Tamar 
to Rahab, to Ruth, who we're looking at today, to Bathsheba. And of course, amazingly, he was at the birth of his very own mother, Mary, when she was born. Jesus watched them grow up knowing they would be a part of the line that would bring him onto the earth, fully man, fully human, fully divine. It didn't matter that they had imperfect lives or stories. God still worked out everything in their lives for good and for his purposes. So I think that's just beautiful to marinate on. And um, I wanted to show you this. This Bible right here my grandmother gave to me when I was seven. And when and if I ever sit down to write my story, like God has written his story, I will be including how my grandmother taught me to have a love for the word of God. I was sitting with her when I was seven years old, and she was teaching me to highlight the verses that I loved. She taught me to highlight what stood out to me. <laughs> Psalms 10 through 18 keeps going. I was like, it's, it's all really good. I mean, am I going to have a whole Bible, yellow Bible? So I didn't know it then, but that was a very impactful moment in my life. Um, and so all this to say, the book that we are reading from today is Jesus telling us that his great-grandmother Ruth was a widower from Moab, of all places. Uh, but greater than that, she was a loyal, faith-filled woman. Despite all of the common evil doing that was taking place at that time, she was known to be a woman of noble character, foreshadowing the Proverbs 31 woman, if you want to think about that connection. But now I'd like to go through the chap chapter three in small chunks and break it down because theologically, it is very rich, and we have already talked about some of this. We've talked about the foreshadowing of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how Boaz shows the same type of redemptive nature as Jesus Christ. We've seen the providence of God shown through Boaz, and how it's in God's nature to partner with us to accomplish his plans. Mm -hmm. We're also going to see in this chapter how he uses marriage as a redemptive tool. Did you guys know that? Amen. That marriage is supposed to help us spiritually grow. Um, if you're thinking about marriage, it is going to be the tool that God uses to bring about spiritual growth in your life. He's going to teach you patience. He's going to teach you kindness through it, gentleness, selflessness. <laughs> and it's going to be also a constant reminder of God's covenant with us. Another thing that we see is foreshadowed in this book, or in this chapter especially, is the unifying of Jews and Gentiles. Ruth being a Gentile, Naomi being a Jew, and so of course was Boaz. But when Ruth tells Naomi in one verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 16, it's up here, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. This is an example of how God's how God's foreshadowing his plans to unify all men under his name. And as we take communion later today, both Jew and Gentile, because I know that there are some people of Jewish descent in this room, we are going to be doing this as a reminder, as a symbol that God is unifying all of us. Amen. So I look forward to communion later on today. But lots to keep in mind here as we dive into chapter three. Um, but I'd like to start with verses one and two. We'll be up on the screen. At that time, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you so you will be secure. So now that both of their husbands have died, it is, in, it is Naomi's role now to secure this. This word means rest. It means tranquility. It means provision. It's Naomi's job now to find this for Ruth. And she doesn't really reference her own needs here. Naomi knows that if she finds security for Ruth, this is also going to mean security for her as well. But it's very clear in this verse that she's not prioritizing her own future, but Ruth's. 
Verse two, now Boaz, with whose female servants you worked, is our close relative. Look, tonight he is winnowing barley at the threshing floor. We've discussed this also in previous sermons, but Naomi is referencing the Leveret law here when she says Boaz is our close relative. You can see on the screen um, in a nutshell what the Leveret law is, but it was a law set up to protect the land owned by a man who has died, as well as his name. It's ensuring that his name will continue on. So this law gives the man's relatives the right and the obligation really to take the land, keep the land in the family, and to take on the widow as his wife in hopes that she will bear a, a son to carry on the name. And it's pretty interesting here if you're studying this, like you realize Naomi is referencing this to Ruth very casually. So we can sort of infer that they've had some conversations about this because Ruth didn't grow up as an Israelite. She grew up as a Moabite. So she didn't know or follow Jewish law. So for her, this call to bring the Leveret law into action is her redemptive ticket. This is an example of how God, God's providence works. He's going to provide an option for you you didn't even know you had. And now looking at the rest of verse 2, um, Naomi is saying to Ruth, Boaz will be at the threshing floor. So this could be obvious, but here's some pictures of what it might have looked like. Uh, the sheaves of wheat would be brought there at the end of the day. One would use that winnowing fork, throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow away the chaff, and then the grains would fall into a heap. Now, why would Boaz be there? Because he's a rich landowner. He's not... He's not getting the wheat there himself. I'm sure maybe he is, but I doubt it. Uh, but why would he be there? Well, as a landowner, it is in his best interest to sleep there during the night to protect his harvest from like robbers or something like that. So um, as I studied this though, I wanted to know what the biblical significance of the threshing floor was. Like, is there a biblical significance? Are there other times in scripture where the threshing floor is brought up? Is it a place where God's plans unfold? Yes. Micah 4.12. Let's look at that. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Biblically, the threshing floor is a place where God gathers. It is a place of separation and it is also a place of revelation. So while Naomi probably doesn't know the spiritual significance of the threshing floor, she does know that Boaz will be there through the night. It'll be dark and there'll be less chance for Ruth to be seen. But on God's end, he's gathering two people here and a very big revelation is going to be made. Let's look at verses three through five. So <clears throat> Naomi tells Ruth, Bathe yourself, rub on some perfumed oil, and get dressed up. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you're there until he finishes his meal. When he gets ready to go to sleep, take careful notice of the place where he lies down. Then go uncover his legs and lie down beside him. He will tell you what you should do. Ruth replied to Naomi, I will do everything you have told me to do. So what does this all mean? And I started this chapter saying it's the fun, happy chapter, right? Part of this is because there's so much scholarly debate about what Naomi is actually telling Ruth to do. For example, in the NET translation that I'm using, it says to uncover his legs. But in the KJV, NIV, many others, it says to uncover his feet. So is it legs or is it feet? Does it really make a difference? 
And does the directive that she's giving to Ruth have any implied meaning? Like, how high on the legs are we talking here? Right? I put a couple hours into this because I wanted to make sure it was right. But the word uncover simply just means to uncover, to expose, to reveal, to disclose. So does she disclose or uncover his feet or his legs? It's probably just his feet, right? But if it does mean legs, it's sort of obvious that the feet are going to be uncovered too. Right, uh, but if it does only mean legs, I mean, if she's only just supposed to uncover the knees, like that's going to be very strategic to just cover that part. Yeah, it's silly, right? Uh, does it have any other implied meaning? No, it is just a smart way to wake wake the man up, right? And we can all relate to this when you have a bed uh, blanket hog, and they're like. Yeah. taking the blankets, the chill, you get cold and the chill wakes you up. So you fight to get your part of the blanket back. That's what this is. Boaz's feet are going to get chilly and it's going to wake him up, right? Now, there are incidents in scripture, and this is why there's scholarly debate about it, where uncover is used to mean or to expose nakedness. But all of these incidences in scripture are either for purification rituals or prophetic illustration. And I've put these up on the slide. If you want to fact check me, go ahead. I'm not going to read them. But um, it's, we, we, got, we got a safe situation here. But let's go back to how Ruth being given these directions, how she might be interpreting these directions. Okay, so imagine you're Ruth and you've just been given this advice. And actually, it's not really advice. Now, this is a command that Naomi is giving her. She's commanding her to go out into the night, uncover the legs or feet of a sleeping man, and to lay down beside him. And then she says, he will know what to do. He will tell you what to do next. In our context, this is going to be silly. I'm not going to tell my daughter that. Go to a man and lay down and just... He'll make the decision. No, no. But Boaz isn't just another man. He has built relational equity with Ruth and Naomi. He has shown that hesed, that loving kindness that we've talked about here. He's comforted Ruth. He has brought Ruth to the table. He's allowed her to breathe deeply like Pastor Kurt so beautifully uh, taught us last week. And in fact, fun fact about Boaz, when you look up his name in online, you're going to see his name means swiftness or strength. And when you fast forward in scripture, you have the story of God. I love this. You guys should check this out. Ruth comes first, right? When you fast forward in scripture to Solomon, who builds the temple of God, he put two pillars in front of the temple, and he named one Yaquin, and he named the other Boaz. There's a picture up there. <clears throat> so that would be his great-grandfather, right? Great-great-grandfather. All this to say, these instructions that she is giving to Ruth are sound because Boaz is sound. He is a man of spiritual strength. He is a man of righteousness, and he knows how to handle a situation well and will not take advantage of Ruth. Now, when you're a man of, of spiritual strength, it does not matter what surprises or interruptions come your way. You will know how to handle them. And I love this verse in light of Boaz. It's Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 for men and for women. Therefore, consider carefully how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so that's the intent of Boaz. Now, when it comes to the intent of Naomi and Ruth, 
Naomi giving Ruth these plans. This is not a scheme to take anything away from Boaz. Yes, this plan of Naomi's is going to be an interruption for a Boaz. It's going to put the ball in Boaz's court. This is going to be a defining moment for Boaz. It's going to be life before Ruth visited me on the threshing floor and life after Ruth visited me on the threshing floor. But it's these kind of interruptions in life that God is going to use to bring about change and new life to you. This plan of Naomi's is coming from a heart and a motivation not to take, but to bless. If her plan works, this is going to bless Ruth, it's going to bless Boaz, and it's going to bless herself. All right, and there's another part of Naomi's plan that I want to make super clear and fun. In verse three, when Naomi tells Ruth to take a bath, put on some perfume, get all dressed up, she is saying, Ruth, it is time to get out of your mourning and grieving clothes. I know your husband's gone. My son is gone. We miss him. But it's time now, gal, to turn the volume up. It's time now to get this man's attention. It is time to let him know that... <laughs> Please laugh. I am single and I am ready to mingle. Yes, okay. A bell. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but. Please wear that, wear that tomorrow. Um. Uh, let's be super clear here that this little glow up that Ruth is doing, it is not to send the message to Boaz that, girl, you are single and ready to jingle. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what all this means. And I can't hand this one out. <laughs> be inappropriate. <laughs> ah! Okay, all right, so uh, all of this buildup to make the point that could an interruption in your life be God's providence? How do you respond to the just so happens things in your life? How do you respond to the shocking interruptions? You must recognize your grace ticket, your redemption ticket, and seize it. You must take it. You must move, you must go, you must walk in the season of grace. Both Naomi and Ruth saw an opportunity. They worked humbly, they waited patiently, and when the time was right, they seized the moment. The only reason I can make this point and stand up here with integrity, like I can own this point myself, is because of, and I'm going to tell you a bit of a personal story, um, you guys have heard this, me say this. Every year I pray for a word for the, from the Lord for the year, to frame the year. And last October, I got the word grace. That wasn't enough for me. I was like, what about grace? And November, I heard grace for healing. And I was like, yes, Lord, we are going to see healing at Redeemed Church. We are walking into a season of healing. And as my role as an intercessor, which you all are too, I am praying for healing boldly. And we come to uh, prayer on Wednesdays at noon and we pray for healing. And by the grace of God, we have seen it. We write down our requests and then weeks later we write down the praises. Like God is healing. We are walking in a season of healing. I'm like, thank you, God. I told everybody I knew about it. We're, we're walking into a season of healing. Thank you. Well, 
You've also heard I was in a women in ministry group called Propel, led by Christine Kane. And this February, uh, we went to the summit and we all get to share our story a little bit. And I was sharing a little bit of what I was going through. Da, 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 da. And this girl sitting across from me very boldly says, hey, Liz, uh, I recognize what you're saying. I've been through some of that. Have you thought about looking into some counseling? It hit me like this because John and I have walked through counseling before and it is hard work about a year of it and I was just done because you stir God stirs and all this dross that's at the bottom of your heart comes to the top and you have to deal with it that's what counseling is it's hard work but it can clear out so when she said that I was like okay wait grace for healing for me I wasn't I was just happy about redeemed's grace for healing season all that to say she was very um She's on top of it. The next day, she gave me a list of counselors in Washington State. I picked one online. Uh, her name is Holly, and I've been seeing her weekly since February. And Mark, I would say April, May, June got really tough, all that stuff being kind of stirred up. And, and I was like asking, Lord, okay, I want to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I very, very specifically heard him say, you're praying for wisdom to parent your children, right? Yes, I am. Well, by you getting whole and healthy, this is the wisdom that you need to parent your children. What you're learning is going to break some generational strongholds. So I'm in it, and I'm still going for it, and I can, and I can feel God's work. Um, it's hard work, but this is the grace ticket. This is the grace for healing. This is my redemptive ticket that I am seizing in and I'm walking in. I don't know what you have going on in your life, but the just-so-happens moments that you have, uh, just like Ruth was just so happened to be on Boaz's field, whatever God's doing in your life, he is orchestrating things. He could be redirecting your life because he's offering you a personal redemption, grace in the moment, and he is going to turn your, you know, just turn Turn some things around for you. I think Ruth was really savvy. I think she knew was what God was was laying down here for her. But more importantly than just understanding or trusting the process, she did something with it. She was walking in it. And that this scenario of her doing what Naomi said to do, this is a big deal. She was doing her part to exercise her her faith and trust. All right, <clears throat> moving on. Let's look at verses six to nine. Okay. Uh, so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her to do. When Boaz had finished his meal and was feeling satisfied, he lay down to sleep at the far end of the grain heap. Then Ruth crept up quietly and covered his legs and lay down beside him. In the middle of the night, he was startled and turned over. Now he saw a woman lying beside him and he said, who are you? She replied, I am Ruth, your servant. Marry your servant, for you are a guardian of the family interest. Okay, so we have a man here that's been working all day. He's had a good meal and, and maybe a nightcap. I don't know. Don't want to put that on him. But maybe I would if I was with wheat all day working. Uh, he's drifted off to sleep, and then suddenly he gets a little bit cold from the night breeze. This wakes him up, and then bam, there's a woman right next to him, dressed up, smelling good. And he's like, whoa. Who are you? And she's like, it's Ruth. Okay, now remember, Ruth was from Moab. Not only is this an interruption of his sleep, but this interruption is going to come with some potential social consequences. Like if they get caught in the middle of the night, I mean, reputation tarnished. What y'all doing? You're not just chatting. No one chats at an overnighter, right? 
uh, hello, bachelor, bachelorette, right? We don't believe you. Anyway, uh, but this interruption also comes with some cultural ramifications. Biblically, there are reasons why the people of Moab were typically avoided or looked down upon. And I, I provided these reasons, some of these reasons up on the screen. I'm not necessarily going to read them all. We've talked about some of them. But interestingly enough, number three, the Moabites originated from an incestuous relationship. Lot had relations with his eldest daughter, and they can trace their ancestry back to this. And so that caused the Moabites to be excluded from the Israelite assembly down to the 10th generation. And I believe that Marty will be talking about this next, uh, next time. But all this to say, this is the framework that Boaz is working with. <clears throat> All of these reasons could be like Ruth wearing our scarlet letter S on her shirt. She knows what people think about her. But um, her coming to Jerusalem with Naomi, her being loyal, her leaving behind her, her, her people, her parents, her land, her God, uh, they see this loyalty and people's perceptions are being changed. <clears throat> and all of these issues don't actually seem to be an issue for Boaz. Well, at least when we look in the text. Let them be okay. Uh, but we see from the text that Boaz does accept her in the same exact way that Jesus accepts us. He is shocked to see her, though. But I, we might be able to safely infer that he's pretty happy to see her. Uh, it's, it's a love story, so likely he's been falling in love with her watching her work, seeing her loyalty uh, for, with, to, to Naomi. He's an older man. Why isn't he married yet? Could be the providence of God. It's not time yet, Boaz. Your woman is coming, right? Okay, let's look at 10 through 14. Um, I am actually going to paraphrase this and kind of translate it in the way that I read it. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but I'm going to say it how... I'm not going to add some interpretation with this. Okay, so it's like, dang girl, I got mad respect for you coming down here. You've outdone yourself. I mean, we've all noticed how loyal you've been to Naomi, how hard you've worked in my fields, but this, you coming down here like this to pop the question, this is amazing. I mean, you're hardworking and you love God and you're beautiful and you haven't gone after the young men with money, and you haven't gone after the young men without money? I mean, so all this to tell me you wanna marry me? Well, okay then, girl, don't you worry. I will marry you. I will be your kinsman redeemer. But wait, there's just one thing, just one little hang up. I'm not actually the closest relative to you. There's this other guy that has rights to be your redeemer. And this isn't in the text, but Ruth is probably like, oh my gosh, you serious? It's another guy, I don't like that guy. Uh, but then Boaz carries on, and I don't know if he says this, but he says, don't you worry, babe, I'll figure this out in the morning. I'll tell that other guy the situation, and if he agrees to marry you and take on Naomi, right, then fine, I'm not gonna like it, I trust the Lord. But I promise, as surely as the Lord lives, if he passes on his obligations to redeem you, I will marry you. I will protect you and Naomi. Now, sweet Ruth, it is late, so please don't go back to Naomi right now. I don't want anyone to see you. I don't want your reputation as a worthy woman to be tarnished. Get some rest. You like that? 
as an epic marriage proposal. Jesus' great-grandfather handled things honorably, and his great-grandmother was a boss. Right? Yeah. Yeah. but it is exactly Ruth's actions in this narrative that I want to focus on as I close today's message. And I know there's more to the story. Ruth is going to rest there for a little while longer. Uh, she's going to make it back to Naomi before anyone sees her. Um, Naomi is then going to reassure her that everything is going to be okay. Boaz is going to take care of things with that other guy. Um, but can you imagine how she felt to hear his yes? I was walking around Chambers uh, yesterday. I had a bit of anxiety. Oh, we're just doing this. I just do that. That's who I am. So I went for a run. Kurt runs every Sunday. This is why. <laughs> it's real. But I was running up that hill, you know, that steep part like this? And there was this bird that flew off the, the fence, and it was windy. And the bird just was like, just hang gliding, just like this, not moving, just in the wind. And I was like, that's awesome, that bird's not moving. So I videoed it, and he flies back down. He comes back up, and he's just like this, just resting. And I was like, that is a beautiful picture of what Naomi is experiencing. She can just rest. She's secure. She, she can be like that bird, like, oh, my God. Like, I, I, I can trust this process. I can trust him. Ruth going down to the threshing floor like that, um, These actions are a picture of how we are to live our lives for Christ. We have to live all in like Ruth. She literally left behind her life to follow Naomi. Her land, her people, her home, her parents, her pagan God. She goes from nothing, and amazingly, she quickly gains God, right? And of course, Naomi, who is now going to be more than a mother-in-law, she's going to be a friend, she's going to be a partner, she's going to be a teacher. Remember, she has to teach Ruth Jewish customs, Jewish laws. Like, honey, did you know there's a lever law? Like, we can, we got this. We're going to be okay. Did you know about that, right? Like, she's going to teach, just like a rabbi, like, just like our disciples going to Jesus, right? We have to sit under the teachings. We have to sit under the word of God. That's going to be her role. But then she quickly gains a new land. She gains new people. She finds herself on Boaz's field. She finds favor there. She can glean. She can eat. She truly goes from nothing to something. But she doesn't stop there. The rest and security, however, the true peace that she and Naomi both long for and hope for, these things have not yet been fully attained. She now has to leave behind what is comfortable, what's been working for her, the gleaning in the field, staying with Naomi, She has to leave that behind. This action is an all-in action. What if Boaz says, like, girl, you are crazy, and actually you can't can't be on my fields anymore. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She has to lay down at his feet in hopes that there's something better. She doesn't know what it is, but she trusts Naomi, and she has experienced the kindness of Boaz. All of this has led her to be able to lay it all down leave it all behind, even what is comfortable for this new life. And this is uh, point number, this is the point number two for today. And, and worship band, you can come on up. <clears throat> uh, this story of Ruth, it is a picture of our walk with Christ. We too have to leave it all behind to gain, that the, gain the life that Christ has for us. We have to do this daily. Yeah. This is how we partner with God for our spiritual growth and maturity. These daily sacrifices will supernaturally align your will with God's will. But I'm going to be straight with you because I've lived this in my 20s. If you are stubborn and you are unwilling to have these 
to lay it all down, the daily things that you have to lay down, you are going to be stuck as a spiritual infant. You are not going to grow spiritually. You are not going to have that wholeness unless you daily lay down your life, lay down your will. Let's look at one last verse in Ruth today. Uh, Ruth 3.15 says, Then Boaz said, Hold out your shawl you're wearing and grip it tightly. As she held it tightly, he measured out about 60 pounds of barley into the shawl and put it on her shoulders. He went into town. She returned to her mother-in-law. This gift, this blessing that Boaz gives her, dowry if you want to call it that, immediately reminded me of Psalm 126, 5 through 6. I'll read it. Those who shed tears as they plant, sorry, will shout for joy when they reap the harvest. The one who weeps as he walks along carrying his bag of seed will certainly come in with a shout of joy carrying his sheaves of grain. Isn't this amazing? Because this is Ruth's great-grandchild writing this. David. This is him writing this. Do you, no, this is not about Ruth and Boaz, this psalm. I don't want to give that impression. But do you think as he's penning this, he's like, my grandmother did that. He can say it like, this is a metaphor, but it's not just a metaphor. This is real <clears throat> for both Ruth and Boaz. Surely King David knew their story. He knew how his great-grandmother walked from Moab to Jerusalem. He knew how she worked the fields in Boaz and how she met Boaz. Sorry, she, were, she knew how he worked the fields in Boaz's fields. He knew how she put it all on the line. David knew how Boaz said yes to this crazy marriage proposal. And then he knew that his great-grandmother was sent back to Naomi with an arm full of grain. So this just like us, I promise you, all the tears that you have sown, God knows each and every single one. If you can make the choice to trust him, if you can lay it all down to become an apprentice with Jesus, for, of Jesus, he will fill your arms with grain. You will be blessed. You will possess that peace, that rest and security that only God can provide. I don't know if you have to need to lay something down today. I, I do every single day. It's frustrating. Like, oh God, I don't want to do this, but I, I'm going to do that. I trust. I trust that your will is better than mine. <clears throat> um, but if, if this is speaking to you, if there's something that you want to lay down here today, I promise you, you're not going to leave empty handed. God is going to fill you with, with peace. Hopefully a word from the Lord. But... Not to be sappy, but sometimes a physical representation of this transaction is really helpful. If you want to lay something down, if this is you today, if you're going to lay something down, yes, that's me. I want you to come up, not now, or just by the end of service, come up, and I want you to grab one of these sheaves of wheat. I want this to be a reminder that you are walking away full of the Holy Spirit, full of peace, full of hope of what he's going to do. Let put this, Take this home and may it be a reminder that today is the day that I laid something down, that once and for all thing that I'm going to lay down, that thing that I've been holding on to so tight. I'm gonna, I, I, that's it. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to trust. And I'm gonna, I, I want you to walk away with one of these. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Bow your heads. <clears throat> Father God, I see what you're doing here at Redeemed Church. I think we all see what you're doing here at Redeemed Church. I mean, our church is named Redeem. <laughs> you are the God of redemption. 
You are the God of new life. You bring hope. You, you, um, you're, you're honored to take away our burdens, our pains, our, our habits, our, our will. You're honored to take that on and you're so giving and abundant to just uh, fill us up with your Holy Spirit, to fill us up with wisdom, to fill us up with courage, to fill us up with boldness. You fill our arms with grain, God, and we thank you for that promise. So I just pray for each and every one here. I don't know what they have going on, but I just, uh, Holy Spirit, I just continue to invite them to uh, daily to just lay down a piece of them because you are turning us into uh, people that are more like Jesus, uh, turning us into whole, healthy people. We thank you for that, God, and we thank you that when you fill us up, we can pour out onto others, that we can show the light of the world. We thank you for this just uh, amazing miracle that we can live out each day. In your name, amen.